0: Millennial Pagan Podcast. I'm your host, Autumn Wolf,
1: And I'm Jarrah Stone. And in studio with us, we have Lisa McSherry. Hello.
2: Hello. It's great to be here.
1: That's wonderful to have you. Uh, So how how has everybody been this week? Fantastic.
0: It's been a crazy week for me. (laughs) Um, Work is a little weird right now. Um, we're going through a mild staffing crisis, and a lot of people had vacation, or were off, or were um, out. So, next week will probably be equally as crazy, but at least now we've caught our flow.
1: <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's been kind of a interesting week for me. I've had a couple of different interviews for uh, new jobs that I'm hoping to land, at least sometime soon. But I think uh, at least at least one of the interviews I know I nailed. Yay! That always feels good.
0: Yeah.
1: Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, everybody, we asked Lisa to come on because she has published a book, and it is called A Witch's Guide to Crafting Your Practice and Create a Magical Path that Works for You. Now, before we dive into this text, we are going to ask, as we always do, Lisa, if you could share as much or as little as you want of your coming of witch story. (laughs)
2: it's actually a story I've written about a couple times um, so I was sort of thinking to myself how can I make it interesting or different from how I've told the story before and I don't know that I can because it is the story right but to, to give a little bit of background it's 1980 and the spiral dance by Starhawk has literally just come out And I discovered it on my mother's bookshelves, all the places to find it. But she had it because it was a feminist book. And it was what all the feminists were reading as part of their empowerment and getting more right with themselves, which is just kind of bizarre because she didn't have a whole lot of other books that were written by other witches that could have been just as empowering. So every time I think about it, I have this very strong sense of... Uh, fate, I guess. Like I was meant to find this book and there was no way I was gonna walk into a bookstore and pick up the spiral dance. I mean, I I didn't even know it was possible. And literally I didn't know that anything like witchcraft existed outside of, well, movies, right? You know, and and then it was often the evil stepmother type character rather than I didn't have a whole lot of Glinda the Goods going on as portrayals. But I read that book out of boredom one afternoon and fell into it. It was so much of what Starhawk was writing about spoke to me quite literally about how I could be in the world, how I wanted to be in the world. And I was a teenager, so it was literally like, oh, well, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I've been looking for this information for years and years and years. And I will say that one of the things that really attracted me, which is no surprise looking back, was the sense of being able to have control over your life. Because, you know, being a witch is all about aligning with the natural forces and getting in with, you know, all the energies. But once you do that work... You can begin to shift the energy to make your life better, more productive, your community, etc. And you know when the hormones are raging, that was a lifeline and an anchor in the midst of a whole lot of craziness that was going on and in looking back, I'm so incredibly glad I found it because it did give me a touchstone through the rest of my teen years into a time when I actually could start to be more adult and and be more present in the world. And I don't know that I would have made it without it, but I struggled with a lot of depression, particularly in my teen years. There were a whole lot of times when I couldn't see a way out and only an end in sight and having to think through the ethics of being a witch while wanting to kill myself often kept me from killing myself. Well, ob- well, obviously it did keep me from killing myself because I'm here mm-hmm. now. And I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had that to think about through such a crucial time.
0: My reclaiming group had a lot to say about reading The Spiral Dance, that you will be, it will kind of force you to read it at the time and in the time frame that you need to read it. Like, I'm usually the type that can devour a book if I'm interested, and The Spiral Dance took me three months or more to more. get through it because of how dense the subject matter was. So to hear that you got through it in one day means that like that was to to me. And I'm sure Jared can echo the same thing is that that means that you needed it in that moment and that just having that kind of like already feel about that book and knowing that it, it just makes you take it as you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, a very...
2: all the You know, the work that you have to do came mm-hmm. later. I mean, obviously, I wasn't I wasn't doing pentacle after pentacle all day long, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? No, yeah.
2: Even as a teenager, that would have been enormously exhausting. <laughs> like, yes and and i don't have nearly that energy now so and and a lot more awareness about it but you know what it led to was that Samhain, now that was about the summertime and then that Samhain of that year i actually dedicated myself to the goddess at the time as a priestess mm-hmm. and i and i was very sincere i created my own ritual and i was like I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will walk the path you set in front of me. I commit to that. You just got to be kind of clear about what that path is because I'm really dense. And fortunately, deity being all knowing (laughs) as it is, took that for what I meant it as, but didn't try to make anything happen for a while because, you know, it's no good telling me I had to go off and live in the Himalayan mountains when I'm 14 years old. I mean, that's (laughs) just no matter how sincere I was, I wasn't going to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took a number of years for me to get to a place where I had the freedom. And then the ones I did there were really clear signs, very consistently. You're going to go do this now. Oh, okay. I'm going to go do that now, and and I would go do that, and that would ha- that would be how I would meet people, or have encounters, or well, the whole panoply of spiritual experience, you know, came to me because I was ready and willing to accept what was going on, and I was very fortunate that I was in California for quite a bit of it and there was a huge amount of work going on in the alternative spirituality community and also the booming new age movement helped bring you know that information you know into the public eye making it more accessible. Um, it was I mean it was a great time to be a witch in a lot of ways. I mean I, I didn't have to look real hard to get what I needed to get. And things came to me fairly fluidly, which was kind of nice.
1: Yeah, the, the 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 fact that you asked for clarity, like to actually be concise in those signs, that I think that that really helps.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's my deal.
2: I'm yeah, I'm not very psychically astute. I have to work really, really hard to get to the astral plane. I'm a, a multiple time Virgo. I, I'm such an Earth sign. It's not even funny. So to get out of being grounded is my task in a lot of ways. So my deal with deity is I'll do it. You know, divination. I'm, I will do it. I will. I will absolutely do what you tell me to do. You just. Really got to be clear, and there have been times in my life when I've actually said, "You're being too subtle." I I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting a message here, but I'm getting conflicting messages. So can we be a little clear? And like that night, I'll have a dream, or I'll turn over a tarot card, and he'll be like, "Oh, subtle, got it. I'm with you."
0: guys. More coming. That self understanding is so important though in magic and being able to be like, okay, I know, I know myself, and we'll talk more about knowing yourself later. But I know myself enough to say, okay, you need to like, you need to come at me with a clue by four here. You can't just be <laughs> like, oh look, it is pretty cloud, and it's supposed to send you a message. Like no, and, so, and sometimes I'm very much like that. I'm like, no, it's just a cloud. No. That's not a sign. Three signs later, then it's like, no, pay attention. This is a sign. And I'm like, are you sure, though? Because that's just a bird. It's a bird not doing bird things, though. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I've, I've had very similar experiences where goddess is like, okay, it's time to do this now. And then I see Oh, that's why. Or it's time to do this now. And it's like, oh, okay. I see the benefit to me and community. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that, that you were mentioning, the fact that witchcraft was being brought kind of into the limelight in this time, really, really helped a lot of people, especially in, in today's day and age with uh, a bunch of social media, all, all this stuff. I mean, I, I know... Autumn and I were just talking about um, Hocus Pocus 2, which is on Patreon, Patreon-exclusive video So, if you guys want to see that. Um, Sorry, I just have to do a little plug there.
2: Good. Um, that was, cool. yeah. It was great. Yeah, yeah,
1: but one of the things that, that we had talked about was social media bringing this craft to a new generation, to a new level, to a new limelight. And I mean, I know I was born halfway through the eighties. So, you know, growing up, the the whole thing with, with witches and witchcraft was, you know, green face, crooked nose. I mean, yeah, the still kinda happens. But um but to have such powerful women in the craft write books like The Spiral Dance mm-hmm. really helps a lot of people solidify it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You have people like Phyllis Karat, who was writing in the 90s, who, you know, here she is, this is a lawyer, who's talking about her journey into becoming a witch and she's written four books now. I think each one is fantastic and each one is very well grounded in all the techniques of being a witch. And, you know, she's a high-powered lawyer in New York City. And it's like, oh, yeah, real real people do this and real people are serious about being witches. So, you know, it's not the stereotypes. It really hasn't been the stereotypes for a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just in awe of the people who were born... After the turn of the century, and let's just have a moment for, wow, that's just 20 years ago. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, who, who have never really had to struggle through the stereotypes. And, I mean, they do because there are stereotypes for a reason, but it's not the same. There just isn't the, that amount of baggage that there was before in many communities,
0: Yeah, there's different stereotypes. Yeah. I think the stereotype has kind of changed from crooked nose, green skin, and cackling to kind of a new age hippie um, stereotype, the love and light stereotypes. Not saying anybody who aspires to that or takes on that anesthetic is bad or anything, but that's kind of what I've experienced um, as an adult. As a right. kid being in the South, I experienced a lot of Satanism, but after the the Satanic panic, um, I could kind of understand that, but.
2: Kind of, neither. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's a sure. political role, I think mm-hmm. now, which is very, which is a, I'm sure Starhawk is thrilled to see in many ways because that was her whole point was mm-hmm. you can't be a witch and not be political because we are intimately tied to our environment. And when you live in a patriarchal capitalist system, you're always going to be marginalized. So how can you become powerful when you are, exist in a system that marginalizes you? And that's another thing I see younger, you know, which is post 2000 really are, are much more politically aware and interested. And they're having some really interesting conversations that are fascinating and how they're flying around. So yeah, well, there is definitely the stereotype of, um, you know, big, thick glasses and hung with crystals and can't make a decision without a tarot reading, (laughs) a certain kind of a thing. There's also a lot of, you know, out on the front lines and picketing and, you know, marching and writing about, you know, how intersectionality interacts in which world. So, yes. This has gone far away from me. (laughs) (laughs) So we can bring
0: it back in. After um, going out on your own, how did... Like your experience changed? How did it come to like? Did you come out in public? What did what happened then?
2: Yeah, um, so I was in college and I actually started working with a circle of it. It was women. It wasn't by design that it was women. It just happened to be women, and that was fantastic because the the woman got it started, Ellen Lorenzi Prince, who does the amazing. Dark Tarot, by the way, and other Tarot decks that I highly recommend. There, I've given her her a plug after all these years. Um, (laughs) She was really intent on, yes, transmitting knowledge, but also uh, making sure that we took on leadership roles in various ways. And so it was never hierarchical for all that she, you know, sort of made sure that things happened and set up meetings and such, she didn't really act like a high priestess, I guess, in some sort of classic sense. And she was actually the first person who told me that I would be the leader of my own group, which at the time I just laughed. I just, no way. Yeah, she was prophetic. But after college, you know, I'm out on my own. I was in New York City and there are a bunch of groups in New York City, and I ended up sort of doing a lot of open circles and classes at the bookstore, and sort of very classic how witches find each other <laughs> before we had the internet mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things. And I didn't really gel with anyone, you know. I was I was real caught up for a while in you know surviving. New York City is really intense when. You came from a school of 75,000 people, um, a town basically of 80,000, because it was just the school that was supporting it. And so, I, and I also never felt the need. To work with a group of people all the time. Like when I wanted community, I would go to an open ritual. Uh, I went to an open ritual with Marco Adler. I, you know, with a couple of famous people in the New York scene, just by happenstance. You know, I was there and they had a class and I paid the $15 and, you know, boom. (laughs) But it was never planned. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a lot of work on my own just a lot of work on my own. And it was good to do that. It was nice to group mo- work with people and having worked with people through college and then doing things on my own gave me a different perspective. The hardest part about it is you really can't track your progress hmm. when it's just by yourself. I mean, you can to some degree, but it's so much more difficult when you don't have the ability to have anyone else say, your energy is really coming through closely, I'm really, like when you said green, I felt the green on your energy, you know, that you're, that's really working. When you're by yourself, you're like, I'm, I'm doing green. It's like you can look in a mirror, right? <laughs> green. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was what I struggled with the most. And then eventually in the late nineties, actually, I found an online community And that answered all my questions because I could circle as I needed. I was circling with people who were all over the country, in some some cases around the world. And I found a group that had a pretty clear, well, it wasn't a very formal structure or teaching, but gave me a lot of information and filled in all the cracks of my basic knowledge. I mean... I thought I knew <laughs> X, <laughs> Y, and Z, and I got to actually work with people to make sure that I knew X, Y, and Z. And from that, actually, I developed what became my own coven and the training class that I do every year of the Art of Ritual class, uh, which is that training. It's a year long, the basics of witchcraft. It's It's energy work, it's let's talk about deity, do you need deity, do you feel like you have a deity, if not, do you want a deity, how to meditate, how to visualize, while also being in ritual with people who are experienced so that you can actually see the reading and the work that you're doing. In practice, because that is the most, for me, the most important thing about witchcraft is you got to practice it. It's it's not Mm -hmm. meant to be theoretical. It is not meant to be sit on a hillside and contemplate the universe. I mean, it's fun to do that for a while, but that's not the point.
0: Mm. Right.
2: The point is doing the work, doing the work to become a better person. And that means moving energy and having a conversation with something you may call deity or not as the case may be from time to time.
0: So what would you describe your craft right now? As far as I know that you just explained there online, where are you at? What do you work with DD? Which DDs do you work with?
2: Um, <laughs> so that's, that's a kind of an interesting answer. I, I'm a witch. It's a word I've used for myself for a really, really long time. I'm comfortable with it. If I am in polite or mixed company, I might (laughs) not use that word and instead say something like, I have a very strong spiritual practice and I just stop there. Mostly people don't need to get into religion too much unless they're trying to make a point. And if they're trying to make a point, I probably don't want to have a conversation with them. It's kind of how that goes. Yeah, uh, I don't wear a pinnacle, you know, me walking through the world, you really wouldn't know that I'm a witch. Uh, and, but that's the word, the label I will use for myself. And my practice is classically eclectic. It's, I, I, and part of the magpie pr- tradition of witchcraft, <laughs> which is, if it works and I see that it works, I will probably try and incorporate it into my practice.
1: I, I call that cobblestoning.
2: Mm-hmm. Cobblestoning. Oh, I like that, actually. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. because building like magpie. Uh,
1: magpie is awesome. Magpie, too. That's, yeah, cool. you
2: know, That's cute. It, it works. You know, it's like a little... Bur- now... You know, and, and and I don't do wholesale lifting of things, but someone will say, you know, mention something that they do, and I will go look at what what it is, and I will read up on it and go, oh, okay. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's no time when I'm going to be adding the what are those beautiful Jewish horns that they they blow in temple shofars. Shofars. Thank you. I'm not going to be adding a shofar to my practice. I mean, because mm-hmm. that would be rude. And it's not my culture, but someone saying, "Ooh, here's this stone I never heard about," and going and reading up the properties of the stone, and maybe that stone will come into my life. It's like it's more like that at this point. Mm -hmm. But my solo practice is very home-oriented, very my life, my personal growth, uh, being a better person in the world. But I am part of a coven. And the leader of a coven. And with them, I have a different practice. There, my focus is no longer on teaching. Actually, I've stepped back a little bit from teaching and I let them do the teaching. I'm the mentor to the entire group. There, my focus is very much helping them develop their practice to be better people in the world. Some of them are interested in leadership, so we're developing leadership. Uh, Some of them are interested in doing shadow work, so we're developing shadow work. It is, I am very, very, what do you need from me in this moment, in this time? And let's do that together. And let's look at my decades (laughs) of practice and experience and what applies to you. While at the same time, letting them teach me because... They're having life and experiences and practicing magic as well. So they're the ones usually who come along and be like, Oh, I did this thing. And I'll be like, oh,
0: I want that. Do-do-do. It is in my
2: <laughs> shadows now. Ha ha,
0: it is mine. Ooh, <laughs> yes. I like um, how you did that
2: there. <laughs> cool. My personal deity at this time is primarily Mercury. He's he's been around for a long time. He was my deity, you know, big way before I kind of recognized that he was having so much of my life. Uh, looking back, he was there for a lot longer than I realized. I'm pretty sure Hikate would like me to start working with her, mm-hmm. and like I've gotten some very strong signals, and mm-hmm. I am negotiating my way into that relationship. Uh, like like any good relationship. I'm negotiating my way in mostly because uh, she raises a lot of questions for me and I'm not really, uh, I've had a very, 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 transformative year. So I kind of wanted to get past that into a slightly more calmer place where I could give her the attention that she needs, or at least that's my argument at the moment.
0: Um, (laughs) If she's accepting that argument, that's all you need. She's accepting it for now.
2: That's okay. She's getting kind of impatient though. There is a tapping of a foot going off, uh, off camera, metaphorically speaking. So it's like, yeah, okay. I hear you.
0: I ah, hear you. As long like, as snakes aren't appearing and wild puppy dog, black puppy dogs are coming to your door, like, you're my new mommy now. <laughs> nope,
2: nope, nope. We haven't gotten that far, and that's okay. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, and that, that will be big because I really haven't consciously tried to work with a new deity for a very long time. So it's, that's part of what I'm, why I'm taking it seriously. The coven does not have any specific deities that it works with. It works with the names and aspects that it needs for the working being done. The coven does not require working with a deity to do ritual. We have several people who are pagans, which they, they acknowledge the energy that connects us and they can work with the energy that we raise and send. The names have no meaning for them. Now, other than as um, symbolic,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: like that's the symbolic of the energy we're trying to work with, or it adds it adds to the language that we are building together in this
1: ritual. I think That's uh, the very it, first time I've heard of atheopagan, uh, like, like actually that term being used. I like that.
2: It's it is fairly new. I think the practice is longer, but it's kind of gotten out enough that it's. You know, people have started talking about it a little bit. I think if you look up John Beckett, no, it's not John Beckett. Oh, I'm forgetting the author. If you look up that term, there is a website and uh, a book, actually a very interesting book, two actually, one of which I remember, I think the title is Godless Pagans, which is about this practice of being a pagan and doing the work with out having a deity at the core of it, so it's very, I think you're thinking
0: very, John Beckett because of the bird doing bird things. That's one of his favorite things to say. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I
2: think that's why, and because he has written about so many things. Yes, um, yes, he has. So uh, you know, so my group that I work with ha- is extraordinarily eclectic. We we come together and we work together and practice our magic, and teach a class. And those things hold us together in a way that a name does not. And that makes us uh, very different from what a lot of groups do, actually, and from how I was taught. I was taught uh, the, the core deities for my formal training were Pan and Hecate, which, you know, sort of classic which names, sort of a thing. But the weird thing was, is that while we had those names, it was a lot of talking about them rather than doing things that were specific to their worship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one reason why, when I stopped working with that group and hived off and started my own, I I didn't bring that with us, and it, because it didn't ever feel that important. And I wanted to make room for anybody who already had a personal relationship with a deity to bring that relationship with them. And we would make room for that, which is a really human way of thinking about deity.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've even worked with a group where deities were named or were like we had specific deities that they actually talked about the worship. Like they'll talk about what they were, their symbolism what they were for the ancients, like their importance and stuff, but never like, this is how the ancients worshipped them. This is how modern pagans worshipped them. And we're going to go through a practice of doing that. I've never had that experience. I would think that that's kind of a more, or even like how to build that relationship was never really discussed in a group. And I have to give you props because you do have a whole chapter on that. But we'll dive into that more after I think we're ready for a short break. Yeah,
1: so we will be right back. All right, and we are back with uh, Lisa McSherry, and we were we were having a little chit-chat off air about our kitties. <laughs> and uh, so, as of recording this, today is uh, October 8th, which is actually the official launch day of your new book, oh. A Witch's <laughs> Guide to Crafting Your Practice, Create a Magical Path That Works for You. Long title. I love it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everything you need to know is in the title. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. Yes, that is very true. Yes,
2: it's well, actually me... quite quite lovely that I'm getting to do a podcast with y'all because I am. And when you asked earlier how my week was, it was like, yes, it's fantastic because the book finally after a year plus plus has uh, finally out in out in the wild, as it were, and available mm-hmm. at your favorite independent bookstore. <laughs> Yes, yes.
0: Yes. But this isn't your first book, technically, correct? It's just your first one with Llewellyn. It is my
2: first one with Llewellyn, actually, yes. Then who is my technically third publisher, although the second publisher got bought by the first publisher. So,
1: you know. (laughs) Kind of of just melds in.
2: Kind of just melds in, exactly, yes. Uh, This is my first beginner book, ironically, um, Mm -hmm. in some ways. Uh, my first, first book was The Virtual Pagan, which was a beginner in the sense that no one had any idea how to visualize doing ritual or energy work or teaching magic online. And uh, so I wrote that book back in 2000. And I wrote it in 2000. It was published in 2002. And I love it in many ways because I captured a moment in Pagan history because everyone was online all of a sudden, but we had just barely gotten web pages. It was the days of geo cities. You know, I have an entire chapter in that first book where I talk about how to get online because people didn't necessarily have a PC, a personal computer at hand. Uh, they might only use it at work. So, how would you do that at home? And I was very excited. Because I just heard just before publication that Intel was coming out with a 486 processor, which was going to speed things up immensely. (laughs) That's how beautifully dated that book is. And uh, the rights actually eventually reverted to me. So back in 2020, I rewrote it. I updated it 20 years later, and the first thing I did was take out the chapter on how to get online, because we all know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's uh, another chapter I took out, but I kept them both as appendices, because I think it's actually kind of wonderful to look back and see where I started from with all of this. And, and the new version, the Virtual Pagan 2.0, had to talk a lot about security a lot about data and what's happening with your data and how to actually remain private online, should you want to, which many of us probably want to be more than we are. And, you know, it's it's a very different book because I had to talk about social media to go back to something we were mm-hmm. talking about a little bit there. No one predicted social media and the yeah. enormously altering effect it has had on all marginal communities but yes witchcraft because yeah. now not i mean it was a thing we knew at the time that you could just go online and find information and whether it was good information or not you know you, you couldn't you couldn't know until after you tried it now it's exponentially more difficult to find good information and to sift through the groups to find people who are legit rather than just recycling words out of books or web pages, (laughs) you know, just kind of a thing, which has always sort of been a a problem. Uh, You know, it just, I mean, that was a lot of what the Virtual Pagan 2.0 had to talk about because Mm -hmm. that's been the change that we've really, really had. In between those two, I wrote a book on magical group dynamics, looking at spiritual groups from the perspective of someone who's been in one, at the time I'd been in one for almost a decade, and how there's a life cycle that if you don't really pay attention, you are doing your group a disservice, and how to deal with it as it goes through its inevitable changes. I mean... I don't think the statistic has changed very much, but most covens or magical groups fail within the first two years. No matter how good the intentions of the participants, no matter how learned the leadership, they fail within two years. And there's a really specific reason for that. And I write about that. Um, And I guess the proof of my writing is (laughs) that I'm on 20 plus years with my own coven. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that uh,
1: one, one, one question that kind of popped into my head especially with you getting back the rights to virtual pagan creating virtual pagan 2.0 literally in 2020 and everything that that we just went through I, I, I guess I guess what, what I want to ask is how much of an influence do you feel was had by social media in Twenty twenty with the virtual pagan,
2: I think it was huge. Uh, I think that it's in the in the best possible way. Social media is like yeast; it you know you put one spore into the warm water and it just grows all over, and that's the fantastic part of it. You put one piece of information out there, which is that. Okay, 2020, everything shuts down. And a, a whole lot of people who literally for decades had been telling me it was impossible to do magic online, that it was impossible to do ritual online, that it was impossible to teach magic online. Impossible was always the word. And I would just sort of say, well, I'm doing it. Well, I'm doing it. In 2020, all those people went, huh, I guess we should figure this out. <laughs> and You know, and started sharing information online and they learned about Zoom and they learned about all the other techniques and possibilities. And yes, it is different doing it online from a physical practice. I have never said differently, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes in some ways it's a lot easier. What a whole lot of people found was that many people who can't get to a physical Group for whatever reason, time, economics, physical limitations, well, they can get to their computer and therefore they can practice with people, they can worship with people, they can connect with people in a very particular way. And I, for one, am incredibly sad that all those wonderful virtual conferences we were starting to see, which were incredibly popular and got a lot of people who normally can't make it to a con are going away because things are shutting down again. And it's one thing I I'm, I'm like am, would actively beg of the magical community, please bring back virtual cons. Please do both. I mean, physical is important, yes. But for all of us who can't make it to Milwaukee or San Jose or <laughs> Baltimore, have something for us because we'll come, you know, and, and we crave it. And I'll present my um, <laughs> jokes, but yeah, I mean, seriously, 2020 was, was in a weird way. I was, I had a sense of schadenfreude because I was like, this is what I've been saying all along folks. And now you're discovering
1: how possible it is. Well, if I, if I start my own virtual con, I'll, I'll make sure to reach out to you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> well, so those are two awesome books that you've already wrote already had out in the world. So let's talk a little bit about what's coming out today. A Witch's Guide to Crafting Your Practice, Creating a Magical Path that Works for You. I do have a couple of points that we definitely want to go into. You've already mentioned it's a newbie book. So to everybody listening, when I read it, it is a newbie book. But let me tell you what it is as well. It had stuff stuff, topics, knowledge in it that I haven't seen in newbie books since Buckland and Cunningham. And it has, (laughs) it also has topics and information that I did not get out of books that I could not get until I was in a cabin. And it goes over things in a way that I'm never seen before. Is very modern conversation. It's also not talking down. You're not withholding information. In fact, you bring in cultural and anthropological and modern information when you're talking about one singular subject that, like, I've inferred or gotten over time or, like, slowly was introduced to in that chapter, like, here's your newbie information. Here's how this connects. This is how it works. This is these things. And like talking about psychology, talking about like other things So like, if you sit down in a college class, you're talking about it in your psych class and you don't know how it's connecting to magic. And to me, that makes this book so much different because I'll be honest with you listeners. I get bored of newbie books at this point. Like I'm like, all right, I'm done. And I was a little worried, but every chapter that I was like, okay, I am going to read this because I want to see how your take on it was. I'm like, Hey, I've thought about that. Or that took me a couple of years to get to that. And it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. And I already said it. You talk about things that like, I haven't seen in a book in a while. again, Buckland was out, what, 70s, 80s? Scott Cunningham, 80s, early 90s. So these are informative, important texts that we haven't seen that information brought to 2020 or 2022. And so.
1: And that's coming from a book dragon.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's going to be. I'm a book dragon. So those are my my positives. My reason why you should buy it. It's now on the top of my what should newbies read book list.
2: Wow. Um, okay. So for the listeners, what y'all are missing is the fact that I am bright red uh, blushing oh, no.
0: um,
2: in a really nice way. Thank you. Uh, that was thank you very much because that was what I was going for. I really wanted to produce. A, an introduction to newcomers mm-hmm. that just laid it out, just told it as it is, didn't try to, you know, whitewash the the difficult parts. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I mean, I've got all these years of talking to newcomers and there are well-worn paths. You do mm-hmm. not need to create everything all on your own. Nope. <laughs> and it's not always about the shiny.
0: <sighs> right? No, it's not. And, um, I like where you have where tools are, and that your tools talk isn't. Here's your altar. Here's how you set up your altar. You have more focus on the spiritual tools, the important things that you need to work through. Those things that—that's what I'm talking about. Were things that I only learned in covens or in groups. That you deliver it in the way that I learned them in groups. That I didn't learn them from books. I mean, like I, I'm I'm not lying to you guys. You can't see it because we're not doing video right now. But my notes literally say, "Does not talk down or dumb." Thank that's you. That's a note I wrote while reading this. I, I and sometimes I do try to find the positive in, a, in something that I've read to give the positive feedback because that's important. I'm, I'm not joking about this. This is not me fluffing up my niceties. It, it's all true. It's all right here. And I'm going to try not to spoil it anymore for anyone else. So I do have one question. A lot of the history that you speak of, because you do talk about the history of modern paganism or modern witchcraft, Um if you guys haven't listened, we did a whole episode on it. She pretty much summarizes that whole hour-long me talking in a chapter. It's great. But that is the first time in this book I felt it was very Wiccan-centered.
2: Yeah. It's it's hard for me to get past the influence of Wicca on modern witchcraft. Same. Because it's it's just so formative. I mean, mm-hmm. going back to my yeast metaphor... You know, Gardner wrote a book and you know he had a small group of people who reached out to other people, but man, coming to America was like <laughs> and you know, and suddenly there were you know forty-nine thousand Sub variations of one basic thing. I mean, you know, there is such a thing as neo pagan ritual framework, and by gosh, by golly, we're all doing our ritual that way mm-hmm. because that's what Gardner taught people, which is not to say that there weren't other groups before Gardner or other traditions, or, you know, I mean, he got it from somewhere probably. And and (laughs) let me be very, very clear. I am not Wiccan. I've had conversations with Wiccans over the years. My best friend is a Gardnerian there. I'll make that joke. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, but a whole lot of Wicca is also very well documented and that information is out there. So, you know, we can trace how it influenced the history of modern witchcraft and, I mostly think it's important for people, like, I felt like I had to talk about the history because there's still books, new books, that are being written where they talk about how witchcraft is an ancient religion. And it's, if you put me in Paleolithic times, there is no tribe that would say, oh, yeah, you're our new priestess, you're our new magic leader. They would not recognize what I am doing. They wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way too far away from being one deer away from death um, to, you know, understand enough about the survivalness requirements of, of a group like that. And while they practice something we modern people would call magic, it, it was not what we do as magic, generally speaking. Um, I mean, you know, gosh, you know, the the people who are reconstructing Hellenic practices are having to do a lot of contemplation of what may or may not have worked because we don't have records. And that was a moderately recent ancient mm-hmm. civilization that had lots of writing.
0: Yep. Relatively. I mean, we we discussed that when Izzy and Fred were on last time, where they both work with reconstructing. And they're both like, well, the, the texts that we have are these. And mm-hmm. then the modern interpretation of those ancient texts were done by men. In the 1800s. And so that's why we're looking at women in this frame and this in this frame. And that, like, we have to figure out how to break that. And a lot of that's going to be speculation. And a lot of that's just going to be your personal feels.
2: Yep. And, And, you know, personal gnosis is fantastic. Just Mm -hmm. know when it's personal gnosis and when it's not. And call that out, which is the other thing I really wanted to sort of convey in The history sections is sort of like, yeah, we're getting a lot of this from a lot of white men in the 1800s who basically said, as far as I can tell, if it looks mystic, throw it in. Just do it. (laughs) Like, you know, here's the negative part of the magpies. Like, they were just like, ooh, that looks witchy. Ooh, that looks mysterious. Ooh, that (laughs) makes it secret. You know, and and they took their Masonic backgrounds and they just kind of cobbled it on. And, you know, one guy was talking to angels and writing all that down and et cetera, et cetera. Those are our roots. Like to so know that a lot of what we're doing is
0: deeply weird on a mm. particular <laughs> level. And yet it works. So. Yeah, I feel and that. Yet it works. Definitely. And so... That was um, that. That was another note that I was like, "Huh, okay." But it was very much what I have seen, what we talked about on a prior episode. So, I mean, if you guys take take it as is, like read that chapter, and you'll see that. one, that is how we can see it. Um, if you don't agree with it, you know, that's that's your opinion, and you are welcome to it. But. I liked that chapter. I definitely did <laughs> myself. I was like, "Oh, I, f- I feel um, validation." But <laughs> I also
2: feel it's it's a kind of a subtle red flag. If you, mm-hmm. for example, want to work with someone or work in a group, and they're talking about the unbroken tradition of Wicca from three thousand years, that's like have a moment of "huh," mm-hmm. and 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 maybe you know hold yourself back a little bit because that's not a great sign about what they're transmitting. Now, I I always have to do a very important caveat here. There are family traditions that are potentially thousands of years old. I mean, probably more hundreds, but nonetheless, unbroken family traditions. But those are family lines. Those are closed practices. You will never know about those practices unless you marry into the family and they choose to reveal that information. So I am not talking about that. I am merely talking about all the people who are like, oh, we're doing it like the shamans did. It's like, oh, you use the word shaman. That's a red mm-hmm. flag right there. Yeah. No. Or the druids, yeah. Or the druids, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, even I mean I mean the good modern druids are like, yeah, we're figuring things out and we're doing mm-hmm. things in a way that we think might have how been how it's done. They don't say this is how it was done, because yeah. that's crossing over the line. And I think that's really important for newbies. In a certain way, this entire book is cautionary
0: tales. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I agree. Another chapter that I really loved is your discussion on ethics. For a newbie book to go into such a heavy topic, to me, that's important. And I don't see that in a lot of them today.
2: Thank you again. Uh, yeah, I think it's important for people to come to ethics beyond and it harm none," mm-hmm. and also understand how badly misunderstood and it harm none do you, do what you will" is used. Because yes, Gardner said it; he meant it only for magic, not for life. That was not, you know, your precept for how to be a good person in the world. No. No, 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 and, and which is good because it eliminates a whole lot of the really problematical part of trying to live by an impossible standard. I mean, that's al- for me, that's almost as bad as the Catholic notion of original sin. It's like, mm-hmm. I was born unsinned, but then I took my first breath and I'm sinning. How am I, where am I going to go from there? It's like, right. well, yeah,
0: problematic. But- or a menstruation that you have no control over is a sin or a punishment for a sin that you did not do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that one is always a difficult one. But what I like is that you go into that discussing, hey, this isn't achievable or doesn't necessarily have to be something that you work towards even. If you do, great. And that's a lot of your book is if you do this, great. But here's what I'm going to talk about. And then you tell... You give great instructions on how do you build your own ethics in magic and in life. That being yourself and being responsible to yourself to maintain these ethical codes is important. That's, how, that's what you should be achieving or working towards.
2: Mm-hmm. I will tell you one of the hardest things for me is I really wanted to do the ethics chapter first. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole book is built on a building and an expanding of your practice. So you start with small things and move larger and larger into, you know, and so, you know, but like I feel so strongly about ethics because I don't think you can really do anything until you've started to think through what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I'm actually totally fine with, I want to be a witch because I need more money. Or, you know, I want to be a witch because I want to be more attractive. Great. You know, that's not shallow at all. Those are great beginning points. And, but you be honest with yourself that that's why you do it. Don't try to hide it under, I want to do better good in the world, or I want to support charities more. Hey, now you're getting theoretical and, and, you know, you're, you're hiding your true need. And when you hide your true need, you are doing yourself a disservice and you're undermining your magic because you're, you know, because your id, your younger self, which is the part that's really connecting most is like, I, I don't know what charity is, but what's a charity? I- I'm cold. I want to be warmer. So I need heat to be warmer. So I have to pay my bill. You know, I mean, that's, that's where, you know, you have to get down into and having an ethical place is fantastic for boundaries, which is great for understanding why you're creating a circle. It is, you know, why you show up for sacred space, why you show up. I mean, ethics is really, really core. And it hurt me to have to put it in like chapter five, um, which just feels so long <laughs> <into the book laughs> at a certain level. But it's also not as interesting as, you know, what's your first step, you know, take right. your first step, do this, and now go to the next thing. <laughs>
0: I completely understand and appreciate you wanting it to be first. I could see somebody opening a book and ethics being the first thing and putting it right back down. Exactly. It's like, like, no, no. Like, you got to
2: worm. Yeah, Yeah, they they, they didn't know me first before, you know, diving into (laughs) a a heavier thing. So they can trust that I wasn't going to be some weird Greek philosopher about it. And yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes, yeah. I also would like to talk a little bit about um you discuss in the tools, you discuss spiritual tools. And like that being um what is normally called the witch's pyramid or the witch's triangle or something like that. And I liked that that was t- the tools. That that was where the tools was focusing on was knowing those five th- things. And because if you have a candle, and athame, you have everything you need, you roll that candle in the special herbs. If you don't go down that pyramid or up that pyramid and you go through it, that magic is not going to work
2: less likely to work.
0: <laughs> or, or the happen. way you want it. Or the way you want it, yes. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, magic
2: happens in, in, in mm-hmm. odd in interesting ways. And sometimes the thing has, has to happen. So no matter what you do, it's going to happen. But yeah, I think that... Because you're right, actually, talking about the spiritual tools is something that you usually get in a group, um, might be seen as advanced, or maybe it's less interesting. I don't know. I didn't come upon it until a long time after I'd been practicing and that I read it and I was like, Oh yeah, duh. Like, Oh <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and with a realization, with this sort of sense of i have kind of been doing that mm-hmm. just not formally or thoughtfully. So mm-hmm. adding it in to my practice in a much more deliberate way was like, yeah, and this makes it much richer and much more, cohesive, and much more active, actually. And I think the really interesting one that even then gets overlooked a lot is to be silent. Mm -hmm. The practice of doing magic and not talking about it, particularly in our modern age of social media, is a very interesting practice. And Mm -hmm. doing it consistently has proved to be the correct way to do it as for me. Uh, I don't talk about my workings. I I do not talk about my workings at all until they have come through. Maybe, maybe. And then it's usually like in my coven, you know, like in an intimate magical group, I will say, so I did this thing. Mm -hmm. I can tell you all about it. (laughs) And it's difficult because you kind of want to brag. Yeah. You kind of want to shine your fingers and, you know, shuffle your feet a little bit and say hey I did this thing I'm a cool witch I'm a cool witch exactly you know I was fascinated a couple years ago when there was all these really public rituals uh, working against uh, our former president Mm -hmm. it's a name I will never speak by the way and I was fascinated. People were like, do this, and I did this, and this is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you are wasting so much energy telling literally hundreds of people, many of whom you do not know at all. Just, they're just names, if anything. And you're just talking about your working. How is how is that going to keep the energy focused?
0: hmm Well. Yeah. Doing magic for um, clout never really works well. I agree. Like, every Instagram... Which that I follow. They're not telling you what they did yesterday or what they're doing tomorrow. They might like tell you, okay, I'm doing something for new beginnings, but they're not showing you everything step-by-step. Step. They might teach you how to do a new beginning spell. Doesn't mean that that's the spell they're about to do for themselves. And those are the ones that I pay attention to, obviously, since I follow them. Those are the ones that I feel like they know what they're doing, what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. More times than not. There is
2: a Brujera that I follow on Instagram who does monthly community rituals. And those are the only ones she ever shares any information about because they're community. And there is a community of people who are going to be involved in it. And even then, what she'll do is very small bits of, here's the candles before I light them. Here's my white robe hanging on the branch. When I am done, this this ritual was about blah 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 blah, and then that's it. it you mm-hmm. know, no other details. She might say, "Oh, I'm," you know, she might give you little. I'm going to go to a crossroads, and I will take care of these things and leave these offerings, but. The thing itself is not. And it's really important to remember that's a different tradition that has different rules regarding what you can and cannot share. I mean, there's mm-hmm. tons of stuff that she doesn't share. It's like, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a message from my ancestors. That's it. Yep. That's all she'll say. It's like, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like saying, what is your wanted outcome before the outcome of the spell has even occurred? You're just blowing it right out.
2: just makes it harder so much harder
0: and Mm -hmm. I feel like when I started incorporating the pyramid I heard a lot of people go to know well you know what you want do you though why do you want it like you need to know yourself and what your real true intentions are like you were saying like the id and the just knowing what you want changes things. And so when you were saying like that conscious going through it just adds that extra flavor to your magic, I feel like so many people will skip the to know, well, obviously I know what I want before I even start thinking about the spell. But do you know, do you know yourself? Do you know how you're going to react to the thousands of different possibilities that this is going to take you? Like we be Always bring it back to love magic because that can so easily go awry. Are, do you know how you're going to react when it goes awry? Because nine times out of ten, 9.9 9. 9 times out of ten, it's not going to go the way that you're thinking it's going to go.
2: Yeah. And, of course, the exception is if you do love magic on yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. For self-love, if, if, yeah. If
2: you center it all about, you know, if it's, if your spell is, I'm ready to find my partner. I'm ready to find my true partner. I'm ready. You know, I want to make myself open for the right person to come along. Then that's a much higher chance of success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it doesn't fall into that nine out of time, nine out of 10 times. What's interesting is when the person shows up and they're not what you had in your head. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you want to say partner and the next person who shows up, is not the right sex that you'd always previously preferred, or they're from a different culture, you know? And so that's the part of to know. Are you really going to accept this gift that comes along? Are you you okay with that? Because you should know that before you go in. Mm -hmm. By the way, for those of you listening who are newcomers, the witch's pyramid that we've been discussing is to know, to will, to dare, and to keep silent. So just to, we've mentioned two of them. I thought I'd just tell you the other two. Mm.
0: (laughs) On both ends. ends. (laughs) Yep. Well, um, my last thing that I kind of want to touch on, and you made it just one page, but I want to kind of get the juice out of it, is this wishcraft.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wish Well, wishcraft is something I alluded to a little bit before, which is that you can do magic. Without a lot of effort, sometimes magic can just happen. And it's a two, it's a double-edged sword because it's the, it is as simple as blowing out your candle on your birthday cake, okay, which, which in my house is a sacred tradition every year. That candle will show up on something on your birthday to be blown out because that is, Super, super duper magic. And you take that, ma- that wish very seriously. And you, you know there it is. That's wishcraft. There's no circle. There's no calling, inv- inviting powers. It's, there's nothing else going on. The ritual is in the showing up and the ritual in the thinking about what you're going to wish for and then the blowing. And that works. A lot of people do that. A lot of people have wishes come true that way. It's the emotion behind it generally speaking, wishing for something to happen is, it's wishcraft. It's, it's just, it just doesn't go anywhere, you know, some, which is also a nice thing because if you are wishing for someone to die and then they get into an accident, it wasn't actually your fault. I don't care how angry you were. I don't care how much you meant it in the moment. It really wasn't your fault. Okay. So that's, Kind of the other part about it. So you know, all these terrible stories of, you know, you needed money for the rent, so your, you know, your boss laid off your coworker and now you get more money at work. It's like that you didn't cause your coworker to get laid off. You didn't, no matter how no matter what you wanted in your spell. So it's all tied mm-hmm. up in all of that actually. Um,
0: and it's kind of tied up in that whole like harm none kind of notion as well, especially with what you just described. Well, then I just harmed somebody with my wishing for money spell or or just plain old wishing for money and carrying around a gold coin in my pocket.
2: Yeah, see, I don't live in a universe that's that mean. Yeah. I really, really don't. I just, uh, I don't think, um, I don't, you know, to, use, to borrow from a completely different metaphor, I don't think life is pie. And if I if I need a bigger piece, it means someone else gets a smaller piece. I, I really, really don't. Or my pie is not someone else's pie, so I can have whatever I want because it's an ever-renewing pie. Ooh. Hmm.
0: I had pie for breakfast.
2: I <laughs> that <laughs> idea, actually. We're all just going to drift away <laughs> thinking about pie. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> An, an ever-renewing pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, to focus back again, uh, you know, I just don't live in a universe where if I can express my needs clearly and ask politely that they be met, that somehow that is going to harm another person. I mean, I just, I really don't think the universe runs like that. I mean, that's that would be very... I'd be like there'd be this great big accountant in the sky, you know, and and it's just, I, I just, I think deity is more generous than that. I really, really do. And I think, you know, that's, that is an important part about getting in right alignment with yourself. I mean, I've, I've had people who've told me over the years, I can't do magic because then I'd be asking for something. And I don't think, I don't, and what they don't say is, and I don't think I'm worthy to ask. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that recognizes that if they can't ask, then no, they're not worthy. And they shouldn't do magic on a certain level. But I wish for them the opportunity to do magic so that they can experience the joy that happens when you connect With that energy, and you get in right alignment with that energy of the universe, the world around you, and you say, I'd like this thing to happen, and the universe says, okay. Which, oh, I just got chills all over my body, because that's that's the joy of magic. That's why you do it, right? Mm -hmm. It's fun. You know, it's not some terrible go to church on Sundays and listen to someone talk and be bored and you just want lunch you know the Mm -hmm. whole time through it's fun and messy and smelly in good ways and you know um, and it's as simple as going for a walk Mm-hmm. and it's complicated as a 15 day ritual <laughs> with fasting <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> you know? so and both are fun
0: Mm -hmm. definitely well thank you so much lisa for coming in and giving us all of this knowledge again listeners it is a witch's guide to crafting your practice create a magical path that works for you i can't say enough how much again it's on my top of my list somebody says what's a newbie book i should read it's gonna be it and that i hope says enough (laughs) um right (laughs) One would hope it is available now as of recording this today on the 8th. Obviously, you're not listening to it on the 8th. So where can we find you, Lisa, if we want to get more information about your coven, about your other books, et cetera, et cetera?
2: The best way to find me and always is under my own named website, lisamcsherry.com the easiest place. There's links there to all my other websites. Uh, I have a review site and as well as the coven that I run. And uh, I have a tiny blog there. I don't write much, but I try to keep it interesting. And uh, you can also find out if I'm speaking somewhere or talking on a podcast or listen to past things that I have done.
0: Awesome. And Jara, where can they find you?
1: Uh, of course, I am on Instagram under aka underscore Hagrid underscore cosplay, TikTok, AZ underscore silent underscore Bob. But yeah, right, right now, that's, that's pretty much it. And uh, what about you, Autumn? Where can we find you?
0: Well, you can find me on Facebook and at my blog, which is Iron Wolf Circle on WordPress. And then you can find Millennial Pagan Podcast on Instagram at PaganPod and on Facebook as well.
1: Awesome. So, uh, again, we just want to say thank you for all of our listeners and, of course, our Patreon supporters you know and like like i said before we got something very special up on the patreon page so make sure you do check that out and for those of you that are wondering and want to see it you can go ahead and help us here on patreon to help out your local not so local podcast <laughs> uh, but from all of us here at millennial pagan podcast merry meet
0: merry part
1: and merry meet, meet
0: again <laughs>